Welcome to the audio version of Think of the Children, a newsletter about the intersection of American parenting and education. I'm Emily Popek, a journalist and school communications professional. My guest this week is Melinda Wenner-Moyer, author of How to Raise Kids Who Aren't Assholes. You can find notes from today's episode and subscribe to the written version of my newsletter at emilypopek.com. I'm Melinda Wenner-Moyer. I am a science journalist uh, and a contributing editor at Scientific American Magazine. I write a lot about science and medicine and parenting for the New York Times and the Washington Post and um, and uh, other magazines and newspapers as well. And I teach in the Science, Health and Environmental Reporting Program at NYU's um, Arthur L. Carter Journalism Institute. And my book, my first book, How to Raise Kids Who Aren't Assholes, was just published in July. Wonderful. And congratulations on that. Thank you. So tell, tell me a little bit about how this book came to be. I know that in the introduction to the book, you speak to that a little bit, um, but I'd love to hear more about the, the story of the book. Yes, absolutely. Um, so just to give a little background to start, I, um, I mean, I've been writing about science and medicine for almost 15 years now. Um, And then I had kids and I realized I had so many questions that I didn't know how to answer. And the advice I was getting from friends and family often contradicted. And I realized that science was also a really useful tool for answering my own parenting questions. So I started using science to answer my questions. And then I started writing a parenting column for Slate um, where I basically did that. I I wrote columns where I answered my own questions a lot of the time and also questions that I was hearing other parents ask. Um, And then a couple of years ago, I started getting really frustrated and worried by all the bad behavior that I was seeing happening all around me. Um, so, you know, politicians that I felt were acting in unsavory ways and also the Me Too movement um, and all of the allegations coming to light. Um, and I also had seen some statistics suggesting that bullying was going up in some schools and um, that hate crimes were going up as well. And I really started thinking about the implications of all of this for my kids. Um, you know, what were they learning from all of this? What were they hearing from their friends, from the media? Um, and, you know, who were they going to grow up to be? And I realized that what I wanted more than anything else as a mom was to make sure that my kids grew up to be good human beings and didn't grow up to be assholes. <laughs> um, and that was when I kind of, I, I realized that I, I could write a book about this. I had really very for a long time um, resisted the idea of writing a parenting book because I honestly like the idea of it kind of felt obnoxious. Like I didn't, who am I to tell other parents what to do? I don't know what I'm doing half the time, et cetera. Um, But when I started having these feelings and I started digging into the research on um, what kinds of parenting strategies shape character and values in different context, I realized there was actually a ton of research that hadn't been translated for a lay audience. And a lot of it was counterintuitive. And so it all kind of came together. um, Like one evening when I was out with my husband and, um, and I was just thinking about like the world. And I, I honestly, I just said to him out of the blue, I should write a book called How to Raise Kids Who Aren't Assholes. <laughs> and then that was it. And we, we looked at each other and I was like, I think that might be my book. And he was like, I think that's your book. And then now here we are. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's great. Um, yeah. And I love what you said about the fact that 
Um, I mean, two things struck me about what you said. First, that like there is research about a lot of these things, a lot of the things you tackle in the book, but that it it hasn't necessarily all reached the mainstream audience, right? And then um, second, that some of it is counterintuitive. And that's that's something that I'm really interested in are the, like that gap between what we should be doing on paper and what we actually do as parents on a day-to-day basis. Like that's really interesting to me too. And sometimes it's because we don't know better, right? Or because we maybe have um, heard or been taught or had this other idea in our mind of what we're supposed to do. And But I think sometimes it's also because the thing we're, we should actually be doing is hard or uncomfortable for us. Uh, and I saw a lot of that in your book. Well, I mean, there are many things that I think that parents, um, you know, they, they come from a very good place, well-intentioned place when they're doing certain things, but actually what they, they end up doing and responding to their kids is, is a little bit counterproductive. One of the big things, um, and one of the big things that has changed for me as a parent since I researched all this and wrote the book is um, relates to how I respond when my kids are upset, um, when they're having meltdowns, when they're sad, or just my, my seven-year-old gets angry a lot, like angry at little things, you know, like, you know, uh, this morning I went in to wake her up and I, um, I shared with her what the weather was going to be. And she like, she screamed at me like, I don't want to, I already know that leave. Like, so my, my instinct as a parent, before I looked at the research was often to try to like rescue my kids from their feelings and say, Mm you don't need to be, why are you so upset? This is not a big deal. Why are you so mad? You know, why, why are you so sad about this? It's not, you, you know, take it's don't get so upset basically to kind of minimize their feelings and to tell them, you know, what you're feeling isn't really valid. Like that's ultimately or, what we're saying when we're or saying, saying like, you like yeah. Or sometimes we're saying like, I don't want to hear or deal with your big feelings right oh, now. Like, I don't like it. Get too. it out of here. Like it's, it's not even so much like, yeah, I think it's both of those things. It's like, no, yuck. Like, I don't want you to be really mad and sad right now. I don't want to deal with that right now. Like, please don't do it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think, and we do that all the time. Like if we're in public or we're somewhere like, and our kids are, are upset about something, we're like, well, you know, we're not going to do, we're not going to get ice cream today. If you're going to be like this, you know, we threaten them. We, we tell them basically like, this is unacceptable behavior, Um, just having these feelings and not being able to completely control them. And so what the research really shows on, in terms of what's actually constructive is for us to like, let them have those feelings, to validate them, to acknowledge them. Certainly we can set limits on what they do in their anger or their sadness. Like we could say, you can't throw chairs across the room when you're angry, um, but, but to really like take the time to, to acknowledge and to say, you know, I, oh, gosh, you sound so upset. You sound so frustrated. Um, you must be really mad, you know, et cetera. And to basically let them feel like it's, you know, these feelings are okay. It's okay to have these feelings. It's not bad to have feelings because when we, when we suppress their feelings, when we tell them they can't have them, oftentimes that makes them kind of fester and it makes them sometimes act out even more and, and, you know, become sort of more bombastic in the way that they express their feelings because we've tried to suppress it and it just kind of festers and grows and bubbles. Um, But also in like acknowledging their feelings um, and, and then also talking about our own feelings and acknowledging that we sometimes feel sad and mad. This ultimately, it does several things. It helps our kids sit with their feelings and learn how to 
manage them and handle them um, because they really can only get to the point of like being able to, to work through them if they're allowed to have them and they feel that they're allowed to have them. And it also, talking about feelings I found um, is really important for the development of, of a skill called theory of mind, which is essentially the ability for kids to put themselves in other people's shoes, to take other people's perspectives. Talking, because like in a way you have to be fluent in the language of emotions and in recognizing emotions in order to really understand what somebody else is going through if it's different from what you are and to be able to read their body language and, and et cetera. And this skill is really important for the development of generosity and compassion and empathy and helpfulness I found. Um, so there's kind of all of these ways that this simple act of both like letting our kids experience their feelings and validating them and then just having conversations about feelings, you know, talking about them a lot, those help with so many skills that I think are kind of central to like not raising an asshole. <laughs> right, right, right. Absolutely. And it's, um, yeah, that I had that same sort of turning point as a parent just within the last couple of years. Um, and it still is hard sometimes yeah. to not um, you know, I, I'm swallowing the words almost every day of like, oh, it's okay. Or of like, uh, some other mitigating response. It's like, oh, it's not really that bad. Things like that. I'm swallowing those words constantly, uh, and trying to replace them with things like, um, I have felt that way too. Or, um, yeah, I also like, I feel that way right now, or just like, I, the two things I say the most when my daughter is upset is pro, like, if it's something that happens suddenly, I say, wow, that was a bad surprise. I say that all the time because <laughs> it covers like so many situations. Like you stubbed yeah. your toe, man, that was a bad surprise. Um, you didn't uh, get the grade you wanted. Like that was a bad surprise. And um, the other one I use a lot is uh, I've been there. Like mm -hmm. I've been where you are. Like, yep. I remember a time that was like that. And that sucked. And it it's uh it's still like such uh an effort. <laughs> yeah. To to say those things instead of telling her that she's okay. Right. Same here. And it's still really hard for me too. And I struggle. And sometimes I do hear myself saying the thing that I know I should not be saying. And then I try to sort of either, you know, I try to yeah, backpedal and say like, oh, I did, you know, yes, yeah, I'm just, I'm just you're upset. You're so upset. And that sounds so frustrating, you know, but um, it is really hard. And I think that's for so many reasons, you know, I mean, we, we were probably raised by parents who <laughs> told us to buck up and, you know, it's not a big deal. Like we, we've been hearing this ourselves. We've been socialized by this world that does that. And then also, um, you know, parenting is so reactive and emotional for us. Like it's so hard sometimes to access that rational part of our brain when our kid is like screaming at the top of their lungs and kind of triggering us. Like I'm very, loud noises I do not do well with. I get very agitated. And so like when my daughter's screaming her head off, it is really hard for me to stay calm and not get like aggravated and angry because it really like triggers me essentially. Um, so there's lots, I think there's lots of reasons why it's so hard. Although I have found like the more I do it, the, the more I'm able to like recognize that I should do it and then make myself do it. You know, like it's slowly getting easier, but it's still hard. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, but yeah, I'm a big, I'm a big backtracker as a parent too. I do a lot of debriefs <laughs> where I'm like, so earlier I said this, th I just want to, I just want to come back to that. I have some things to add. <laughs> I think that's so good though. I think that you're modeling so many important things in doing that, you know, I mean, you're taking 
responsibility, like you're saying, I messed up. Maybe, I mean, sometimes you might be saying something essentially that like yeah, I should yes, have handled yes. this differently. I, and you're taking responsibility for it. You're talking about it. You know, I mean, I think there's so many families where, um, or so many situations where like the opposite happens and, you know, you, you get upset at each other and then you never revisit it and never talk about it. And then you never kind of have that closure and that resolution. Um, so I, I do that too. And I, I think it's really helpful and you're just, you're modeling all sorts of good things. And you're also like normalizing the fact that nobody's perfect. Everybody makes mistakes. And I think that's really important message for kids too, um, to realize like they, you know, it's okay to, to mess up and you, you know, you can grow from your mistakes and you can learn from your mistakes and all of these, you know, and so instead of saying like mistakes are bad and you should feel ashamed for them, like, no, they're, they're they can be good and they're totally normal and it's okay. Right. That is a tough one in our house right now, but we are trying to reinforce that on a daily basis. Uh, it's very, it's a very hard sell. We talk yeah. a lot about stakes. I had to explain to my daughter what stakes mean. She's nine. And I was like, do you know what? Like, if I talk about the stakes, do you know what that means? We talk about that a lot. Cause I like to, I'm like, so the stakes for the scenario are very low. Like, let's think about what's actually going to happen. Nothing. We were running late for school today and I can tell she was getting nervous. She was getting mm -hmm. agitated. And I was like, let's talk about what's going to happen when we show up to school late. Like, let's just talk about like reality for a minute, you know, right. like, yeah. Um, and it's, it's not because there's, I feel like there's this other situations where it's not so much like, it's not something you have to apologize for. It's not a mistake, but it's like bringing back to reality of like, what are we actually dealing with here? I think that's great. I think, I mean, I feel like that is a lot of what cognitive behavioral therapy does for kids with anxiety, right? It's like acknowledging <laughs> those feelings, but also like bringing back the kids to reality and, and, yes. and you know, like, making what them do realize we know? like, like mm -hmm. what I, I talk about data all the time too. I'm like, well, let's look at the data. <laughs> like the data shows us that every single night of your life, you have fallen asleep. So like, I feel really good about our chances tonight. Like I, like we have a lot of good data on the subject. Like it's, it's good. It's looking good. Um, right. I don't know how convincing that is, but like, it helps me too. Like yeah. when you're, when it's 10 o'clock at night and you're like, this kid's never going to fall asleep. And you're like, yep. act, you know, actually she is, she is going to fall asleep. <laughs> We're going to get that there. thought last night as my son came out at like 11 PM. And you're like, oh my God. The bathroom. I was like, you're still awake. Like my husband was already asleep. And it like, feels oh like God. the end of the world. Right. Like, yeah. so I would like to ask you uh, a few questions about parenting and also about school, because that is a mm. subject that I'm very interested in talking to parents about. Um, so can you tell me to start how many kids are in your family and roughly their ages? I know you mentioned a seven-year-old. Yes. My daughter is seven and I have a 10-year-old boy. And then it's just, otherwise it's just me and my husband in the house and our dog. So I love to ask parents this question. When you are working, where are your kids? Mm. Typically. Uh, usually at school. Um, or like try to fit it in, in the school day, more or less. Well, yes, that's, so that's been true for the last two. Well, it's all, I mean, it's the pandemic has messed everything up, but like last year, I basically worked when they were in school, they were in in-person school last year, this year, um, I have just as of last week, um, rehired an after-school babysitter for four days a week who comes basically right when the school bus drops them off, she arrives at my house and then she hangs out with them, helps with homework. Um, and now that we're starting up sports again, um, like my son does soccer and my daughter's just started doing softball, she drives them around too. So I then can work until essentially like 6 p.m. most days. So I start 
around 9 a.m. Like they leave on the bus at 8 a.m. I usually exercise. Um, and then I start work usually around nine. I mean, it depends on the day, but um, yeah. So we're just getting back into a, a longer work schedule, which mm-hmm. I find really helpful when I get those extra three hours of, yes. of work time. Although I do feel guilty sometimes. And it's hard because sometimes my kids are just downstairs with her and, you know, and I can hear like my, my daughter getting upset about something. It's so hard not to go down and be like, what's wrong? Do I need to help? You know? Right. So it's definitely got its challenges. I've, but um, so yeah, I'm just, I work upstairs in my bedroom, essentially. That's where my office is here. And they typically stay downstairs when they're home mm-hmm. from school. Yeah. It's all, it, I feel like no one's arrangement is easy, right? Yeah. Um, they're just hard in different ways. Mm-hmm. Thinking about like this particular time in your life, you know, it's the start of the school year. You said, you you know, just getting back to kind of that longer work day, sports is starting up. I'm sure there's a lot of other things going on. So right now at this time in your life, tell me one thing that's challenging about parenting for you. I worry about my daughter and the transition back to school right now. She's struggling. Um, She, so yeah, we've, we're at a different school this year. We, Mm. last year we took them out of the public school and they were in like a small outdoor school, which we have there's so much privilege involved in that decision. And I, <laughs> that I just want to acknowledge, like we were very fortunate to be able to do that. Um, but now we transitioned back to the public school. So it's just a big transition and she is really shy and very sensitive to like tone. And mm. um, she's, she's, for instance, she didn't know where the bathroom was and she was too scared for like the first five days to ask her teacher. And so she just like held it all day and came home and was miserable and scared and sad and was like, I don't like my teacher. I don't feel like I can talk to her. So it's just been a stressful time kind of um, helping her adjust and helping her like gain the confidence to to be able to do what she needs to do. Like she needs to be able to ask someone where the bathroom is and feel okay doing that. But, um, but, you know, it's just, it's a lot for her. And so we've had a lot of meltdowns too. And so there's just that. And I just think about her and I worry about her a lot. And, you know, I know they're doing like COVID testing at school and she's so scared about being randomly tested and she talks about it in the morning. Like, what if today I have to get tested? And I'm like, you're going to be okay. But there's just a lot of anxiety. She has a lot of anxiety right now. So I'm just, yeah, that's Um, kind of what the biggest struggle is. I I wonder, like, I'm always curious about this too, because I definitely have my strategies in my back pocket for like helping my daughter navigate things at school when I'm not there to support her in the moment like how did you kind of get her ready to like ask her teacher for things like what are some of the strategies that you use yeah yeah well so the day that she really kind of like had a breakdown and, and told me she didn't know where the bathroom was um I mean, first she was really upset and I just like wanted her to have the space to be upset. And I just said like, that sounds so hard. And it must be, you know, it must've been so hard to, to have to hold your pee all day. (laughs) And, um, and, and so first I did that. And then I, I tried to brainstorm with her. I, I said, okay, so like, what are some ways that we could figure out where the bathroom is? Like, what are some things that you think you could feel comfortable doing? And she was like, I don't know. And I said, well, do you think you could ask your teacher? No, can't ask my teacher. Definitely can't ask my teacher. And so I said, okay, well, um, you know, maybe we'll revisit that one soon, but let's talk about something else you could do. Like, could you, um, you know, your friend that you walk in from the, the school bus, who's also in your grade, could you ask her on the way in? And she's like, oh yeah, I guess I could ask her to point it out. And I said, what about if you just like 
asked to go to the bathroom and went out in the hallway and asked someone you saw in the hallway. And for whatever reason, she felt comfortable doing that. She said, I think I could do that. I think I could go out to go to the bathroom. And if I can't find it, I can ask somebody that I see. And I don't know why that felt more comfortable to her than asking her teacher, but it did. And I think it was really like the next day when she got home, I said, Hey, how did it go? Like, did you use the bathroom? And she said, yeah, I just went out in the hallway and I saw somebody and I asked them where the bathroom was and they showed me. And now I know where the bathroom is. So that's kind of like when that, that's often what I try to do is just like brainstorm with her. You know, if she can come up with ideas, that's great. I will then like, if not, I will try to give some ideas and, and kind of let her reject whatever she doesn't feel comfortable with for whatever right. reason, but try to find something that some kind of way to solve the problem that like, she will in the moment feel comfortable with. And so sometimes it works. <laughs> not always. Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> this time though, just trying to think through like, what are those different possible scenarios? Yeah. Um, I feel like yeah. we're, I'm a big one for acting things out where I'm like, you be the teacher, I'll be the kid, be as mean as you want. Like, let's just, let's just um, take the scenario through to the end and see what it might be like. That's a um, great approach too. Yes. Yes. Yeah, that is, it, um, I know very much recommended by psychologists <laughs> and the like. So we, um, our son saw a therapist who was like a a movement it's like she's like a dance almost like I think a dance therapist but mm. she a lot of the time when she was working with him she would they would just he would get to play with the stuffed animals and create these narratives and she would play with him and yeah like a, a lot of the issues a lot of the things that he would be working through like he would all comes it, out right all comes out like it, it all, all comes, comes out. out I can't remember there was one time when like there was she told me like a really really fascinating thing he had done and it very clearly showed like his anxiety with something and um yeah, that's a really great way to get inside your kid's head if they can't communicate with you, you know, or like they can't put it into words. They, they will do it with their animals. <laughs> they will, yes. Um, I did play therapy as a kid, so I feel like very like connected to that like uh, way of, you know, younger kids communicating. So tell me, tell me one thing that you are doing differently as a parent compared to your household of origin. We talk about a lot of things happening in the world. We talk about a lot of issues that I think my parents kind of protected me against, you know, um, and maybe thought like, well, that's, that's going to scare her or that's not something she needs to know. Um, in our house, like there's a lot where, you know, I, I share stuff going on in my own life or my husband does, you know, in, in a careful way. So as not to like burden them with problems and, and right. make them think they're responsible for solving our problems. But, um, you know, if I had a, tough day at work. I will sometimes talk about why it was hard and like, what did I do to make myself feel better? Um, and also just, we talk a lot about like race and racism and sexism and consent and, um, and bullying and, um, just a lot more sort of explicit conversations about things than I certainly did as than I certainly had with my parents as a kid. Mm -hmm. Um, on kind of on the flip side of that, not exactly, but I wonder, is there anything you swore you would never do as a parent that you absolutely have done since becoming a parent? You know, like before you have kids, you have all these ideas about how things should yeah. be done and those yeah. don't always um, hold true when you actually have a child of your own. I certainly didn't think I was going to yell as much as I found myself yelling as a parent. <laughs> I, I always like prided myself. I mean, so I remember as a teenager, I yelled a lot because <laughs> of hormones and you know, you're a teenager. I remember yelling at my parents a lot, but then I went through a period of like 20 years where I didn't 
think I had a temper. Like I really, I really didn't get angry much. I felt like I'm just such a like calm and collected person. And I was so like, proud of you know it was like uh, like proud of myself you're like oh I grew out of it like I'm more mature now right yeah absolutely and I would like judge people who you know lost their temper like those people don't have any control over themselves and then I had kids and I found wow like they just I mean I just would get so mad so easily about the stupidest stuff too you know and that was something that was definitely like a huge surprise. Like my temper came back so quickly once I had kids and I had to figure out like, what am I going to do about this? And I read Carla Nomberg's book, how to stop losing your shit with your kids. Love that book. Loved. Yeah. Um, and yeah, which I talk about in my book, as you know. Um, so that certainly has helped. Um, but yeah, that was something like, I, I think I thought to myself, I will never yell at my kids. Um, and that certainly is not what has happened. <laughs> yeah. I can relate to that so much, except that I didn't ever have a temper before, like ever. So it really came out of, I was like, what is this? Like, who am I? Like it had never been part of my experience growing up. So, but I absolutely felt it after my child was born and it like, it was terrifying um, to feel like, yeah, like, yeah, it's, um, I know I really want to read that book uh, about mom rage because I feel like um, it's not, it's a big part of becoming a parent for a lot of people. And it's not one that we maybe talk as openly about as some other aspects of the challenges of parenting. So. Absolutely. I'm very excited um, for her book yeah, too. I can really relate to that. Um, so you, this, this sort of uh, relates to what you were just talking about. Um, tell me one thing that your kids might do. What's something that really pushes your buttons? If you were going to yell, like, why might you be yeah. yelling? Yeah. Um, so it's often in the context of like, I'm, we're, we're in a rush or like, there's a time, there's a schedule that we have to follow. Mm-hmm. Um, the morning is often a time like, I, so my husband's now going back into the city for, for work four days a week, which is a new development. And so like, it is my responsibility to get my kids on the school bus um, and, you know, get everything ready because he's gone already. And right. so I feel that stress like very acutely in the morning, like we're on a schedule. And so then when my, when my daughter in particular will get like upset about something that I just don't understand why she's upset. Those are the times when I'm most likely to snap. Um, And, you know, again, this is like a situation where I know that the best thing to do is like acknowledge her feelings and let her have them. But when, when it's running up against like a deadline or like, you know, I don't have time for you to have your feelings, then that's when I (laughs) that's when I really struggle. And so, yeah, this morning, like my daughter, I don't even know what happened. Um, I went to, I was about to go check on her. So I'd gotten breakfast ready. She was getting dressed. She always gets dressed and then comes down to breakfast. It was taking her a really long time to get dressed. Mm. And I was going up to just check on her as she was coming down. And just apparently the fact that she recognized I was coming up to check on her while she was coming down made her very upset. Like Mm. she's like, I was on my way down and you were coming. And I'm like, okay, that's great. You know? And she just like had a meltdown on the stairs Mm. and said, I'm not eating breakfast. I'm not going to go to school. Like, and I was like, oh my God. And I know also that like eating breakfast is what's going to help her. Like she's hungry. That's right. She really needs to eat right now. Yes. And so those, and I didn't yell at her this morning, but it was awfully close. Like I, you know, I was like the panic, how am I going to get her on the school bus if she doesn't calm down and how, and, and like, but I knew also that yelling was not going to make it better. So I just kind of like bit my tongue and said, okay, well, breakfast is ready when you're ready. 
Um, and, I, and then she you know, stayed on the stairs crying for a couple minutes and then came and started eating and everything was okay. And we made the school bus. But those are the times that I really struggle when like I'm trying to do something or there's a deadline or we need to, you know, be in a hurry and my kids have big feelings and I don't have time for them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. When you talk about allowing kids to experience like the natural, natural consequences of their actions. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, the natural consequence isn't always for them. Like sometimes the consequence yeah. is for me. Like if they um, are refusing to tie their shoes and we can't get out the door in the morning, like they don't care. Like I'm the one who's late to right. work. So it's, re- I really have struggled to sort of square those ideas about, um, you know, how to navigate the consequences of their actions when sometimes it doesn't really affect them that like. What if they don't yeah. want to go to school? Like they're going to be thrilled to have postponed that experience by having a big temper tantrum. Like, ah, okay. <laughs> it's so true. Right. My kids don't care if they miss the bus. It's probably like right. fun for them. Cause exactly. then I drive down and try to catch the bus and they're probably like, this is an adventure. Queen, and I'm like, yeah. And, but you're like so stressed out by it. Yeah. So it's, yeah. um, it's a different calculus, right. Of how we handle yeah. some of those things. Yeah. Um, so you spoke earlier about some of the school changes for your kids over the last couple of years. Can you tell me a little bit about what you did or would look for in a school? If you were trying to find a good school, what would that mean to you? And where would you seek out that information? I would say what's really important to me, and one thing I really loved about the school that we found last year, is how like socially and emotionally supportive the school atmosphere was. I mean, you know, academics of course matter, but, um, and I want my kids to, to learn, et cetera, and, and have their brains grow and all these things. But um, it's really important to me that like the staff, the teachers are also responsive and, um, you know, sensitive to temperament and, and teaching social emotional skills. Mm-hmm. Um, so the school that they went to was just, that was like their biggest focus. And so certainly looking at camps too, this is something that like, um, I think about like how, how do the teachers respond to the kids? How do they interact with them? And so to me, that's really, really important. Um, just because from what I see, there's a lot of good things that can come out of, of, um, schools that have like really supportive atmospheres and not punitive and, you know, and really are responsive to kids. I just found myself wishing that like the atmosphere you're describing, I wish that was more common, like in the schools that I uh, have had experiences with. Um, I think it's really hard. I think it's really hard to do. It's a big, (laughs) um, yeah, it's not like, it's a big mind shift that has to happen like at all levels within the school, right? It's not just like, it's not just like, here's a worksheet we give the kids. It's like, it's a holistic change. And I think that's, that can be overwhelming. I, I, uh, I worked on a project last school year providing professional development to teachers throughout New York State. And one of the focus areas was social emotional learning. And that was one of the pieces of feedback that we got from people. We're feeling like it's overwhelming. Where do we start? You know, like uh, mm-hmm. knowing that, like, recognizing the value of it, but just sort of feeling the magnitude of what it would actually take to get a full school or district to change the way they think and act about these things. Um, So I, you know, I I acknowledge that it's a challenge for schools, but one that I, you know, I don't know, I wish we were further along that path 
uh, today. Right. But there's it's there's so. a lot of exciting work going on in that field for sure. Yeah, and I and I also I mean I love the school that they were at last year had a lot of project-based learning mm. not like teaching to the test and not yeah. a lot of worksheets but like a lot of project-based learning and and I think the kids really are my kids really loved that and they loved going to school whereas you know in a environment where there's like tons of worksheets and tons of homework and tons of you know just like drilling things right. I from what I understand from the research it's not all that effective in terms of promoting actual learning and retention of information and also like then the kids don't like they, they associate like school and learning with not having fun and not, you know. Right. Not and not just fun, but like not being interested, right. Like, or engaged. Yeah. Like I think the language kids use when they talk about like things being boring or like not fun. I think it can sometimes mask like, cause that's easy for adults to dismiss of like, well, of course school isn't fun. No one said it would be fun, but it's like, well, I, sometimes I think what kids are trying to tell us is that they're not really doing anything like meaningful um, with any real purpose. And that's not a good experience for them. So um, I think it's worth like probing deeper when kids say that they're bored or they're not having fun. So I'm going to let you go in a minute, but we're going to go out on a high note. And I would like you to tell me something wonderful about your kids. My seven-year-old is an incredibly like empathic and generous kid. She loves to share, like she loves to kind of intuit like what somebody wants or needs and then provide it. Um, and mm. she's very good at it. So like she can, you know, she's just very good at like sensing. She'll like be like, do, do you need a back rub, mom? You look like you need a back Aww. rub. And like, yeah, just really thoughtful and generous. Um, and yeah, and that's been really fun and, and, and really like, um, the word uh affectionate too Mm -hmm. um and I have to say like my my son is 10 now and I am loving this time with him he's he's become like he's a very kind of introverted um like but funny and really sweet kid I I was just saying to somebody last night like this I feel like we're just hit the, hit this golden moment with him where he's, um, he's really like easygoing now. He didn't always used to be like that. He used to be like, used to struggle with like being inflexible and very rigid. He's now like mm-hmm. easygoing and thoughtful and funny. Um, and, but also, and also just like easy, like we're, I think t- maybe age, it's just age 10, like maybe that's what it is. And these and kids at age 10 are generally easy, but it's just been like, just a really fun time where I feel like all of my interactions with him right now are like positive. Like he's mm. not difficult. He's not, I mean, and, and he's just like loving still. He wants hugs. He wants like to say, I love you. You know, he's still, we still have that. Um, he hasn't turned into like a, a tween who doesn't right. want to. Really, yeah. It does parent. sound like a golden age. It's like that sweetness of the younger child, but like yeah. a little more of that, maybe emotional maturity to just be like more at ease with himself and in the world. I really appreciate you taking the time. I don't know if there's any, like, if you have any readings or events coming up in the fall that you want to plug. There is one in November, November 4th, being interviewed by a doctor who also like focuses on parenting. So I think that's going to be really interesting. Um, Yeah, it's Thursday, November 4th. All right. Well, thank you again for making the time. I really appreciate it. It's been wonderful to talk to you today. Okay. Well, thank you so much. I'd like to thank Melinda for joining me and thank you for listening. 
You can find more episodes and information or get in touch at emilypopek.com. That's P-O-P-E-K. And as always, I'd love to hear from you. Thank you for listening.